Get your pom-poms on and watch Satan tremble. It's Film Shake, episode 38, and I'm Jordan. And this is Nick. And we're here to talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie from 1992. That's right, we're a 90s movies podcast, and we have a trivia battle at the end of every episode, and the loser gets punished. And I do believe I got punished by the Crypt Keeper from Tales from the Crypt. The Crypt Keeper kicked your ass last time, man. So now it's time for your pun-ishment. Uh, oh, uh, no, God. I, I just got <laughs> over hating you. Like, the therapy <laughs> sessions I've had the last two weeks were so intense. Oh, man. A lot of angry tears. I really appreciated the feedback we got from Luke, who said our trivia battle from last time was so cringy and terrible he just couldn't stop laughing he knew that we just wanted to bail on it but we kept going and that's right man we didn't give up we made it through that thing but i don't know for the worse or for the better but at least somebody was entertained i guess i always joke that you know i want you to win and i'm like almost trying to let you win every time and you you like just can't pull it through unless you you're you cheat, really. You know, you bring in the Crypt Keeper and only ask me about television show episodes that you know I haven't seen. But I was just, I was just like praying so hard deep down, like, please let this in. Like, Jordan, please get these questions right fast. Please. I don't want to do this anymore. Ugh. Why? Oh, you did lose. I don't know. Fair and square is the word, but you were made to watch a thing. So, what was the thing, Nick? Because I definitely didn't watch this with you, buddy. I'm sorry. You damn millennial saying I did a thing. You had to watch a thing. You're bringing out the damn millennials already. I thought we agreed. Tell the people who we are for real. We're going to stop this this generational battle that we keep going through. Well, I, I want to so bad, and I will explain it, but when you say things like I did a thing, like I throw up on my mic, and while I'm wiping her off, I call you a damn millennial. But yeah. <laughs> Well, it's a thing because maybe it's not a movie. Maybe it's just a thing. Maybe maybe it doesn't deserve the title of movie. Who knows? I haven't watched it. Because... Every noun is a person, place, or thing. Yeah. Oh, by the way, yeah, yeah. So MTV generation. What do we what do we figure this out? This was. I, it was like a one generational thing where we both fell into it, and the the markers for it were really great and united us together. Even though I, I'm telling you, if you do something stereotypically millennial. Like my wife does all the time, I'm going to have to make fun of you. So every time you have an angry old man rant, I'll just call you a Gen Xer and you, you damn Gen Xer, which will be every episode. Yeah, though I guess technically, I don't know, they keep booting me around. I'm just going to say Zennial now, I guess. Zennial. I don't know, I'm feeling real defeated with that. Who knows? Who knows what we are? Yeah, who knows? Hey, I, I do know one thing, though. So, look, have have you seen just one of the girls? Like I mentioned last time, I don't think I've ever seen it, but I definitely remember the the cover of the VHS tape in the video store with Corey Haim dressed up as a cheerleader. So tell, tell me what was behind that cover when you get into the actual movie or thing, whatever you want to call it. This entire episode is a patron request from, from Doug from Good Times Great Movies. He requested Buffy the Vampire Slayer as his patron request. And he also said, for punishment, why don't you watch just one of the girls? You know, I I have seen this before, but I never watched this movie just to watch it. I watched it because in high school, this movie was legendary for the scene where Corey Haim, dressed as a female, who everyone thinks is a female, is assigned a, of course, this being that kind of movie from the early 90s. 
he's assigned to clean the girls' showers at his high school. And, of course, what happens, but basically a bunch of Playboy bunnies come in naked and take showers. They definitely don't look like high school girls from any uh, actual high school. So there's just a bunch of, of naked ladies in there for about five or six minutes. And that was why I think probably half the dudes in my high school watched this movie which is really right. not a very popular film that a lot of people know about, but that scene was was so famous then, <laughs> which is pretty terrible if you think about the context of the scene now. But I gotta tell you something, man. This movie's actually not terrible. I'm actually watching it as a movie and not watching it as like uh, a for a boob, boob shots, yeah, boob delivery system that <laughs> right uh, we didn't have the internet for back then. Um, right. It's not a good movie, but it's not terrible. It kind of works. Okay. I guess I should set this up. This movie is about a early 90s Corey Haim who's just getting beaten up by all these damn bullies, man. They just beat the crap out of him all the time. I don't get these. Like, gen- I don't know about you. I mean, Tara, where you went to high school, like, sometimes people would be like, yeah, Tara, rough streets there. But, I mean, like, were there bullies that just beat the hell out of people, like, consistently? Like, this guy, I'm going to, like, assault him to the point to where I could do 20 years in prison every day <laughs> and rob him every day and commit felonies against him every day. <laughs> like, was this a thing at your school? Because I've never seen this no. in my own life. No, I never. Like, a lot of the bullying that you see depicted in high school movies I never experienced, so... I don't know what it is. It's insane. You know, I watched it with my son who I, I tried to like prep him like, hey, it's not good. Like, I love the book it. But that golly, you know, I, this adaptation from 2017, I think I think it's total garbage. I hate it. And I'm just got, going off on a side tangent to say there's like a scene where the bullies there, they like pull out a knife and they're like carving their initials into some kid's chest. You know, that's the, terrible. It's, it's like in the context of that movie, like what kind of world is this? Like, I know what kind right. of world it is in the books. The book's good. And, you know, it's like a, a center of evil where they are. But I don't know. Anyway, all that to say, yeah. So these bullies are beating up Corey Haim, like beating the crap out of him, taking his money, making his life miserable. So he thinks, you know what? You know, how I could stop getting beaten up by bullies. What if I dressed up like a girl instead of beating me up? They all just wanted to have sex with me instead. That's the basic plot of this movie. Because <laughs> that's better. <laughs> so he, he is like a, a hip-hop instrumental musician or a, an R&B instrumental musician. You know, early 90s dance music. And right. that's what he wants to do. He wants to like go to school and, and learn how to play this music better and do this as a career. But the bullies are just making his life so rough. And he's got this huge crush on Nicole Eggert, like a lot of people did in the early 90s. And he actually had a real relationship with her in real life. I think that she was at the hospital with him after he OD'd uh, one of the many times that he OD'd. Or many times after he OD'd, I should say. Which, tragic story. I really like Corey Haim. I mean, obviously, yeah. being born in the early 80s, watched a lot of movies with him. Yeah, especially sure. Lost Boys with him and Feldman. Yeah, the two Coreys, for sure. The two Coreys. And really... <laughs> The, if I could sum up this movie with one sentence, it's that Corey Haim dresses like a girl to evade bullies, but is actually kind of hot as a girl. That's really that's really a lot of this movie. <laughs> Did you find him hot as a girl? He's a pretty attractive girl. He gets everyone <laughs> everyone hot and bothered because Nicole Eggert really starts to have some feelings that she doesn't for the understand girl, Corey? for the girl Corey. That okay. you know he's cheerleading with her, but like like she could never see him in his underwear, right? 
because yeah. uh, she'll figure it out. So you get a lot of scenes like that where it's like wacky Mrs. Doubtfire type stuff. Really, there are scenes from Mrs. Doubtfire, which came after this, that are very reminiscent of this, where he has to keep bouncing mm. around. But the best part is, and really, this is like the central plot of the movie. The bully, Kurt, played by Cameron Bancroft, who was the one that was like, my entire life is hating Corey Haim. I'm going to murder him. As soon as Corey Haim comes out with a wig on and, you know, some fake boobs, he's like, I got to have sex with this girl right now. I have to have sex with Corey Haim in a wig. And then the plot is basically like <laughs> Corey Haim, like, tames Kurt, Cameron Bancroft's character. He's like, you can't be such a sexist pig. You have to learn how to be sensitive. You know, in his Corey Haim girl voice. And mm. this whole movie is like Kurt learning to to be kinder and to, to embrace his feminine side. And then to find out this whole time he's been trying to get with Corey Haim and not a girl that looks a lot like Corey Haim. Which, it's just a really weird, uh, really weird climax where everyone finds out that it's not a girl. It, it's Chris. Does he uh, repeat the line from some like it hot? Nobody's perfect, and he goes along with it. Uh, no, no. Does he, he, does he still want to bang Corey? I'm pretty sure he does. I'm pretty sure he does. But all the all of his friends find out like what was going on, and they're all like, "No, you really gotta kill him." And the best nah. thing is, since he's like such a so sexist and such a horrible person, he's already been telling everyone that he's been having sex with Corey Haim as a girl. Like, yeah, yeah, we got it on like all the time, right? Like lying about it. So he's right. basically told all his friends that he has had frequent sex with Corey Haim, and now they all know Corey Haim is a dude. Backfired. Yes. Right. <laughs> so then he's like gonna beat up Corey Haim in front of all of his friends who are like, yeah, kick his ass, kick, really kill him this time, like make him dead a lot yeah like we'll talk about it in a minute but Corey right. Haim is like yeah you know we didn't actually have sex i just got him drunk and then told him we did and then uh, kurt's like i'll tell you what you better just beat it now buddy and then he leaves and then he goes on to be a hip-hop musician and i will say okay again i said this movie's not terrible it's not good but a lot of other movies the relationship he has with nicola eggert's character you know, at the end of the movie, it'd be like, you know what? It's okay that you deceived and lied to me this whole time. Right. I really <laughs> like love every you. 90s movie, <laughs> like every 90s movie. Right. Like she's all that. Like, let's make uh -huh. out now. In fact, let's just get it on. That That's the end of this movie. Let's just make out and the camera will pan away from us. As we undress. Yeah, <laughs> that's not what happens. She's like, you you lied to me this whole movie. I, I don't even know who I am anymore. Like maybe we could be friends again one day. And he kind of tries to make a move. And she's like, yeah, not right now, buddy. And that's pretty much the end of the movie. And he's like, okay, well, I guess I'll be a hip hop musician. And maybe, maybe <laughs> well, one day. I guess day. I'll be a hip hop musician. <laughs> I won't be a cheerleader anymore. Yeah, that's it. Well, good for her. Good for her. <laughs> yeah, Glad right. to hear of a nineties movie that doesn't go in that same direction. Like, every rom-com i've watched recently with my wife like oh you're a terrible guy but we'll forgive you for no good reason right, yeah why sense. not there's not plenty of other fish in the sea apparently there's only you yeah that's not what happened so good job raul fernandez screenwriter and director michael cooch who neither one of them really did much else i don't think but hey All just right. one of the girls aka anything for love which i think was the original title for this not the greatest stars? movie. Uh, you have to literally go on YouTube to watch it. That's the only way to watch it. <laughs> That's how you know it's a good one. There's multiple Corey Hay movies that you can only watch on YouTube, which is really a damn shame. Yeah. 
But hey, thank God for YouTube, right? Because so many things would be lost to obscurity if not. Yeah, you're right. That's true. Even if it is a really low-res version of the movie, so, you know, the the boobs that we were going nuts over back in the mid-90s, you know, they're very grainy, which is probably just for the best. Just low-res boobs now. Yeah, since yeah. literally anyone can just watch this on their cell phone now, including children, it's probably for the best. Uh, <laughs> but I'll Oh, give... yeah, it's a totally better world now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'll give this a 5 out of 10. Which I, I five think, out of ten. I think it's okay. not a total disaster. It's it's all right. Okay. It, it, all right. It's not good. It's all right. All right. Well, thanks for taking one for the team watching that for me. Tell me all about it. Now I don't have to see it. I don't know. Maybe I'll watch it one day. Why not? It's on YouTube. Yeah. Maybe well, you get stuck in traffic for ninety minutes. Yeah. Watch some boobs. Um, <laughs> speaking of sexism and gender politicking, as it sounds like that movie gets into a little bit, we have a little bit of that in Buffy, or maybe a lot, I don't know, depending on your reading. So let's get into Buffy the Vampire Slayer from 1992. It's weird to say 1992. It's it's actually a year newer than just one of the girls. I mean, a year older. Older. 1992 comes really? before 1993. Well, that's a oh. great sign that I don't know which <laughs> came first. Awesome. <laughs> well, it's, is it weirder to say 92 and not 97 like your beloved Buffy TV show? Because I know you're a big Buffy fan, aren't you? Oh, man. I've got, I've, I've got such conflicted feelings about Whedon verse stuff right now. I think I'm kind of oh, going yeah. through like a Whedon reckoning, but we'll get to that later. I still think that's a great show, but some I've, this movie brings some some stuff out when you've experienced every Joss Whedon thing, which he wrote this. Uh, yeah, we'll get into that. How about you set the movie up? All right, all right. So Buffy is a cheerleading high school girl, a vapid, vacuous, as she's described in the movie by Donald Sutherland, very airhead type girl uh, hangs out with a clique of such girls in her high school. And we discover through some flashbacks at the beginning that there are vampire slayers that are passed down from the generations to generation. As one dies, a new one is born or is called to become the new slayer. And they're all females. And so we meet Buffy, and she's just a ditzy blonde, and we discover that there are vampires in her town, and creepy Donald Sutherland is following around and reveals to her that she is the new vampire slayer, and that you know he must train her and prepare her to fight the evil. This was not... Was this my introduction? Yeah, you know what? I did see the movie before I saw the TV show. I did. Oh, okay. the, the show I came into at the end of the first season, and I had seen the movie on TBS, and I wasn't totally wowed by the movie, except, you know, I really, really liked Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubens, even with all <laughs> his controversial scandals. I say controversial because there's kind of an argument over what he did really should have be a scandal at all. And I'll leave that up for people's internet research. But I really watched this movie because of him. Makes and a also, great vampire. <laughs> yeah. And also for Chrissy Swanson, who 
you know, I, when we did the chase a long time ago, that was like the yeah. first time I heard of her, which, of course, from the one guy at my school who watched the chase that said, bruh, the chick in that movie is so fine. You know, that's, <laughs> that's what he said. You know what? I She gets a lot more exposure in this one, I have to say. Yeah, Christy Swanson. I've, you know, one there's many differences between this and the TV show. I think one of the major ones is that Buffy and the TV show kind of looks like, you know, I mean, Sarah Michelle Gellar is an attractive person, but she looks more like someone that you would see in your school, like more like someone who is, I don't know, somebody off the street. Like an average uh, normal an average high person. school girl. Whereas yeah. Chrissy Swanson has like hit the genetic lottery. Most people don't look like this on the right. rest of right. the And she's still, I mean... Whatever you think about her politics or whatever she has going on, whatever, she's in the news right now because she has COVID and uh, she had some opinions about COVID before she had COVID. But, you know, she still looks like, I mean, she looks better than I do and she's like 12 years older than me. So, yeah, yeah there's that tangent. <laughs> yeah, she's a, she's a good looking lady in this for sure. And they definitely uh, take many opportunities to display that. <laughs> Speaking of, we have the opening scene where we have the flashback to the Dark Ages, a busty barmaid who's being attacked by vampires and holds up a stake into the air. And there's a nice little match cut that goes from the stake to the pom-pom that Christy Swanson's Buffy is holding up in the gym. And there's this super long credit scene of just the cheerleaders doing their cheer and you know, lots of opportune shots of the cheerleaders doing such routines. So, and apparently their team mascot is the pigs. I don't know. These are all things that I learned in, in the cheerleading scene. Also that the cast is pretty stacked, not... No pun know, intended. Ch yeah, no pun intended. Not referring to the chest region, but referring to the many actors that are recognized from the credit scene. So you got David Arquette, you got Donald Sutherland... Rutger Hauer, uh, who else? Luke Perry. Yeah, lots of recognizable names. David Arquette is in every movie we cover on Film Shake. Have you noticed that? <laughs> who would have thought? yeah. He was in Ravenous. I was not expecting to see him there. This was my first time seeing uh, this Buffy. So, and, you know, I wasn't a big Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, fan of the TV show like you. I tried to get into it and just, I don't know, it just wasn't my thing or or what I, you know, like growing up, what, you know, saw a bit of it on TV, wasn't my thing then, tried more recently to get into the show, and just, I'm not a big TV show person either, so, I don't know. Just, uh, I don't even could. really watch TV, I'm a damn millennial. No, whatever, dude, whatever. Hey, you know what? <laughs> I'm not a big TV show watcher, come on. I like, I like movies, Nick, I do a movie podcast, remember? There you go, that is true, this is the 90s movies pod, not the 90s TV show pod. Yeah, you go you go somewhere else for your '90s TV, my friend. You don't bring that crap in here. Yeah, yeah, okay, sure, buddy. Well, I'll bring I'll bring it the crap in here for a minute and say, yeah, the the TV show. I was the same age of the characters in the show, and they were, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, I got I went to school a year late, so they were all my age, but they were a year ahead of me in school, and. 10th grade, got back from like basketball practice or something. And my dad had it on and I was like, what is this? And he said, it's Buffy. And I sat down and watched it and I just got it's immediately Buffy, hooked. 
Yes, I got immediately hooked. They were showing the first season again before the second started on the WB. The good old WB, man. Back in the day in the 90s. What was better than that? Probably a lot of stuff. But you know what? (laughs) It had a flavor. And the TV show, it feels like even the pilot episode had a bigger budget than this movie, which is kind of weird. But I just fell in love with that show, man. It the, the emotion of it just hit me at the time when my hormones were like, I guess, the most raging and the most just like ready for what happens in the second season of that show. Because it's just like insane gothic emotional romance where her vampire lover turns against her and there's an epic battle of good versus evil and romance broken and romance rejoined. And I don't know. It was it was it was great. I, I really enjoyed it, bud. It was <laughs> <laughs> like I said, you keep you keep that garbage out of here. We're talking about the movie. <laughs> and it's funny, I I really did get roped into it for obviously I like, you know, monsters and horror stuff and funny stuff. And the TV show is a lot both scarier and funnier than the movie, even in the earlier episodes. But also academically, I think there was a point where there was like, I don't know. 20 times more stuff academically written about themes in Buffy the Vampire Slayer than any other show that had been on to where like some running database that was keeping track of it stopped. And that really wasn't my concern. You know, I was 16 and the kids on the show were 16 and they were going through some crazy high drama and I just got sucked into it. I wasn't thinking about themes then. I might talk about them a little later in this episode, but I already feel like I'm rambling. You talk, Jordan. I'm going to eat some candy. (laughs) Well... I can't say a whole lot about the TV show and comparing it to this. You know, I'd, I would be kind of a miss to do that since I haven't gone through the whole show or watched enough of it. But I will say that I did find this movie to be entertaining, to be not scary, but it was humorous at times. And, you know, at times I wondered, okay, is this supposed to be campy or is this just campy and bad? And it drew that line to where... I wasn't quite sure sometimes. So that kind of kept me on my toes wondering like, okay, is this is this actual B-movie garbage or is this like poking fun at B-movie garbage? So that'd be an interesting question to get into as we as we walk through the plot. So, well, first I wanted to talk about the just the dialogue that we get in the opening scene with the girls and the 90s phrases that come out of these girls' mouths. So just a, a, I just started making a list of things they said that were so 90s that it just almost slaps you in the face. So, of course, we have heinous, which we we know very well from from Bill and Ted when we did our our three part Bill and Ted episode. So lots of lots of love for heinous. But you got lush, you got what's the sitch, you got that's so five minutes ago, and excuse rude much and then my favorite when they when they see donald sutherland what a homeless <laughs> like they use homeless as a noun for to describe you know <laughs> just to describe a person a homeless they definitely mm. reminded me of my sister and her friends in high school oh, yeah they were a couple yeah. of years after me and they talked exactly like that i'm pretty sure that they said to me and Someone I knew one time, what a homeless. So, What a homeless. <laughs> I think that actually happened. Uh, that's awesome. Even though it's ridiculous, it does feel right for the times. So they go to the movies, and this is where we meet David Arquette and Luke Perry. 
who are obviously cast as these slacker guys because, you know, they're wearing camo or baggy pants and plaid and, you know, they just look all grungy versus the heinous jocks, the boyfriend and his friends that pull up and they're convertible and they're wearing the Letterman jackets and everything. So we kind of briefly meet all these characters. Uh, They talk about Buffy's parents going away for the weekend the boyfriend's going to come over to make out. So I love the running gag through this movie about her parents where they're just very absent and unaware of anything that's happening. Like later at one point, Buffy comes home really late. Like after a fight with one of the vampires, she's covered in dirt and blood. And the mom's like, do you know what time it is? And she's like, uh, past 10. She's like, Oh, okay, I guess this watch is not working. Okay, honey, we gotta go. It's time to go. <laughs> like, doesn't seem to notice that her daughter's covered in blood. Which is a uh, weird juxtaposition with the TV show where her mom is almost the best character in the entire show and a very caring and empathetic mother, which was is interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, probably no one else. To no one else. <laughs> quit, quit talking about that TV show, Nick. Name that TV show. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I just thought that was a a fun gag. So yeah, so she has this dream of the Dark Ages, uh, Slayer, the busty barmaid, and if not for the beginning of the movie that introduces the Dark Ages, I would think this is like a hard cut from where she's sitting on the couch with her boyfriend watching this movie, and they're you know starts a neck and everything, but it cuts to the dark ages scene. And so if not for the beginning of this movie, I would think that this was just a bad B movie horror movie that they were watching on TV that happens to have Christie Swanson playing a vampire slayer as well. But they made sure, man, she is in the bustiest middle ages outfit they could find. And no, it's not a bad horror movie. It's just a dream sequence that she's having. Well, let me ask you this. Did those medieval scenes look really like low budget and kind of oh, yeah. crappy to you? Like, do you think that was intentional or? That's what I'm saying. They just look really crappy and low budget. So I don't know if they just ran out of money for those or what. Yeah, it's so strange. I don't know. Really budget for this movie. It's not a big budget movie, but at the same time, like it's well, 7 million. That's not much. I don't know. But sometimes it feels like it was like maybe. We just watched Bordello of Blood, which is two point five million, <laughs> and I wouldn't say like this looks like it cost twice as much as that did to make. Right? No, I mean maybe the money doesn't stretch as far in ninety two as it did in ninety six. I don't know. At some point, they said they were gonna bring on like David Bowie for a cameo as a vampire, but they just didn't have enough money. So I don't know if they just you know had all these like medieval shots planned, like they're reach exceeded their grasp or whatever but yeah it's some some stuff does look pretty low budge low budge you really budge you really just said that yeah i really just said that how heinous (laughs) (laughs) or lush depending on your perspective i feel like already that i'm being too hard with this movie because i'm negatively comparing it to the tv show it's fine i wasn't really impressed with it when i watched it when i was younger and I still don't think it's that impressive, but it's not bad. It's just the plot's not really that logical later on. But the dialogue is fun. You know, all these 
yeah. all these lines. It's a Joss Whedon script. I don't know how far that they strayed from it with the dialogue, but a lot of it is really snappy. It's like my favorite thing, which is uh, dumb smart or smart dumb, you know, where someone right. is acting really stupid, but someone with a lot of intelligence has to craft that kind of stupidity. Right. And apparently Joss Whedon got really mad at the changes they made to the script and different things. But yeah, you can really tell like through the dialogue and the snappiness that this is, you know, from his mind and I thought it was enjoyable. What's his problem? (laughs) Screw you, Joss Whedon. I think I know what his problem is. I remember after this movie came out, he really trashed Donald Sutherland, you know, he called him a dick. That was his exact words. Yeah. And at the time, I thought, well, man, I love Joss because of Buffy and Angel, so I guess Donald Sutherland is a dick. He must be really I hard guess to work he is with. he a dick, because this guy said it. But then a, a pattern started forming where it was like, huh, like, it's all, everyone's always, like, not wanting to do what Joss wants to do, and everybody's difficult. And then, you know, his his wife divorced him and put out that statement about how Joss was basically seducing young interns and actresses and getting close to them and getting them to sleep with him. And then Uh you get to the Justice League stuff where he's basically, you you find out that he kind of just sees the actors as his little puppets. And if they had anything to to say about it, that he's like, I'm I'm your master. Uh, And it really kind of seems like he was really getting off on telling young women what to do. And now that I know that, it really makes a show where a female character has been imbued with her powers by really the first Slayer being an ancient person who was tied down by a bunch of men and forced to be inhabited by demons so that they c- she can protect them from other demons. To Wait, the... was that in this movie? No, that's in the TV show. So I'm just Damn talking it, Nick, about... Stop talking about that TV but, show. But the reason I'm talking about it is the, <laughs> the basic gist is that there's like a wise man that must teach this dumb, dumb girl the ways of the world. Ah. Uh. Well, that is this movie. Yeah, that is this movie for sure. Dumb, dumb girl and wise man. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I was surprised. You know, I, I keep knocking on you for talking about the TV show, but having seen a little bit of it and knowing Buffy's character is pretty stoic and seem kind of like reserved or, you know, Sarah Michelle Gellar has a totally different energy about her than Chrissy Swanson. You know, we start this movie and Swanson is just a complete goofball like dits and you know the dialogue like we said is just she's she's really stupid but it's really funnily written like how stupid she is like at one point they're trying to think of uh different environmental themes for the senior dance and they're like what what's really causing harm in the world right now and she's like uh bugs i really hate bugs (laughs) you know it's like goofy stuff like that yeah, she really is just like a big dum-dum, but uh, I think it is interesting the arc that she takes through this, how she starts you know, from the ditzy girl, and then as she accepts her responsibilities as the vampire slayer, and as, you know, of course, like you said, the wise old man must, must teach her the ways, the ancient ways of slaying the vamps, uh, she really becomes a serious person and, you know, seems to start to actually have a head on her shoulders and, you know, become a very well-rounded person, I guess. In the yeah. End. And I always joke that Chrissy Swanson's not my Buffy. My Buffy is Sarah Michelle Gellar. But you know what? Chrissy Swanson's pretty good in this movie. I mean, she's generally she is. pretty good in every, this is what the third Swanson movie we've covered. She's been good in all three movies. 
That's true. Like, yeah, she really does. You know, because you know, a lot of times we just call the actors by their name. And as I'm making notes in this, you know, I'm talking about Luke Perry. I'm talking about David Arquette. But you know, she she's Buffy. Like to me, you know, sinking into this version of Buffy, at least, she really does a great job, and she pulls off that ditzy aspect really well. She plays that and just sinks into it. But as she matures and she becomes more serious and, you know, taking care of the vampires, uh, she really makes like a very kind of seamless turn into that position of like, okay, I'm now, now I'm ready to like kick ass and I'm be tough. And I'm, you know, she obviously, I don't know if she does all her, she definitely doesn't do all of her own stunts because, you know, they list Buffy's, you know, stunt people at the end in the credits. But a lot of the scenes, it does look like she's doing those flips and those kicks and punches and everything. Like she really brings a good energy to the part. Yeah, for sure, man. What did you think about Luke Perry in this movie being kind of her love interest slash sidekick? Yeah, so Luke and David Arquette, you know, are the slacker guys, like I mentioned. Um, and at one point, they they meet the girls, and the girls are being really obnoxious in the movie and everything. And uh, so the guys, go, they go off and get drunk, and they hang out on some ledge overlooking a cliff. And I like how Perry just passes out on the ground, and Arquette is grabbed by a vampire from or he grabbed by the Paul Rubens vampire he just like floats like <laughs> they have a shot of you know them looking over the ledge like a you know pretty long drop to like a street below or something but then it's just like this goofy Paul Rubens that just like floats up over the ledge and grabs David Arquette and pulls him over and then Donald Sutherland uh, pulls up you know, in his beat up car. And at this point you're like, who is this guy? He's been kind of falling around these girls. He just seems like maybe he's just some creeper, but uh, he tells Perry, this is not a very safe place for you to sleep. Like so nonchalant. <laughs> like he just saw his friend get pulled over a ledge by a creepy pasty floating dude. <laughs> you're just like, Oh, you shouldn't <laughs> fall asleep here. <laughs> but to answer your question. Yeah. Luke Perry is pretty good. You know what I noticed? And I'll get to... I'm going to bring the TV show in again. I'm sorry. Damn Luke it. Perry, if you watched the the TV show, he really looks like James Marsters and dresses like him from the TV show who played Spike in the TV show, who is a vampire who becomes... Oh, I wondered, I wondered if he was... Yeah, because he's Pike in this. So I was like, I know there's a Spike because I've read a Spike comic. So I know, and I, you know, obviously I've heard things about Buffy, even though I haven't watched it. So yeah, so Pike becomes Spike in the TV show. Yeah, he feels like a proto Spike. I mean, Spike is actually a you know a vampire who's been a vampire for a couple of centuries, and oh, he's okay. very very evil and starts as a villain, and then things don't work out for him. He kind of gets usurped by other villains, and then he gets like a weird thing for Buffy where he's kind of obsessed with her. And then he's kind of her sidekick, and then he tries to rape her, and then he gets a soul, and then he's her sidekick again, and it's very complicated. All kinds of things we could get into there, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about this movie. That's right, Nick. He just, he looks a lot like Luke Perry. Some yeah. of their line deliveries are similar. And Jordan, <laughs> check this out. This is something that I realized while watching the movie. After, like, 20 minutes into the movie, after, I think, the last time that David Arquette and Luke Perry really have a scene together where one of them isn't a vampire. This happens. Are you you familiar with the Bechdel test? Yeah. 
but explain it for our listeners who might not be. For our listeners, it's a measure of the representation of women in fiction. It asks whether a work features at least two women who talk to each other about something other than a man. So something that I realized with this movie and then with the TV show, and I think this reflects on Joss and his mindset, all of the men would fail a reverse Bechdel test in this movie and in the TV show because there are really almost no points where any males are having a conversation that isn't about a woman and particularly is not about Buffy herself. And what does Luke Perry really do in this movie after the first 20 minutes but just hang around Buffy? He's just kind of there, you know, standing around like, what what do do I do now, Buffy, or what are we doing now? Which is really kind of what the dudes in the TV show do too. They're all just kind of obsessed with Buffy. Buffy, They all kind of circle around her, which I don't know. I really, I'm waiting for something that isn't just a reactionary take to what we've found about Whedon. Something that's just a really long dissection of coming to terms with, what did this mean? Let, let's get into the it of Joss Whedon and try to figure out, he's always got this damsel in distress who's not really in distress, who's kind of this small, wafy person who takes a, a beating and goes through a lot of emotional distress, and all these men are putting her through things. Like, what? why is that recurring over and over and over again what what is going on there i want someone to do a real dissection of this now that we've had so many dissections of of the feminist themes in his work now that we know that he's sort of an anti-feminist he's sort of like a wolf in the in the hen house and no pun intended there with women and hens but i don't know of another <laughs> metaphor there right like like i really the whole time i was watching this movie i, I couldn't stop thinking about that kind of stuff which again is really boring for people who don't care about buffy or the Whedon verse <laughs> but i just i couldn't stop thinking about it that's why i don't have like a lot of other stuff to say it just i i watched it the second time like don't think about joss whedon don't think about joss whedon and then it was worse maybe he's just a damn creep like donald sutherland appears to be at least because <laughs> this dude's wearing a trench coat he's got gloves on he's got a hat and he shows up at uh, Buffy's school where she's doing some cartwheels in the gym, looking very fit and busty as usual. And he's just like, hey, you're the chosen one, Buffy. Come with me to the graveyard. And Buffy's like, what's your damage, creeper dude? You're like one of those dirty old men like after the little girls, right? So like, get out of here or something. And I'm like, man, she's really ditzy, but she plays this so well. Like, I, I guess she's doing a good job. Like, at some point, I just kind of, like, lost the acting. I was just like, man, this girl's really annoying and ditzy. But, yeah, I guess that's that's the point, right? That's the point. So, anyway, they I guess she decides to go with them to the graveyard. I forget why. But she asks him at some point, do you have any gum? Sutherland looks so pissed off. Like, again, I'm not sure if he's acting there or not. Because, you know, maybe Christy Swanson really does want some gum. And he and she's asked him like 50 times on set. And he's just like, damn it. Why do I have to work with these teenagers? And he's just <laughs> like, no, I don't have any gum. Leave me alone. <laughs> What did you think about his presence in this film overall? There's a part where he does something like he's trying to convince her to come with him to the graveyard, I think. And he does this little twirl around his mustache and he like kind of flays out his hands like like a magician almost. I thought that was great. And I mean, I love Donald Sutherland, like just having him in front of the camera and being Donald Sutherland is enough. Like his his presence is 
don't know. It's always calming, but a little like sinister at the same time. Yeah, he's one of the greats for me. I, I really like Sutherland. Yeah, he is good in this. And I kind of wondered, too, when Whedon's like, it changed the whole plot of the movie whenever he kept riffing and going off script. Like, I don't really see how that could, how he could have affected that. Now, near the end of the movie, whenever the master, who's played by Rucker Hauer, who's an amazing actor who's extremely boring and pointless in this movie, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he, has Sarah, he has Sarah Michelle Gellar. I'm sorry. Yes. Come on, Nick. Get out of the TV show. Come (laughs) on. He has Buffy dead to rights, and he's like, no, not now. But then 10 minutes later, he's like, we have to find out who she is so I can get her. And it's like, you just had her. Why'd you let her go? And then they find out, like, you know, who she is, and they're like, why don't we go get her now? He's like, no, we're going to wait till they're at the dance. They're like, why? Because I want to (laughs) dance. Like, what? What? It makes you no make sense. You make no sense. Yeah. It makes oh. no sense. But hey, to bring up the TV show again. Damn so it. The, the, the watcher that she has in that show, Giles, played by Anthony Stewart Head, what's really insane to me is that Donald Sutherland, the voice that he affects here, is like identical to the voice that Anthony Stewart Head uses later, which I thought was pretty pretty cool, actually. I don't their voices sound almost identical, like same inflections and everything, which is neat. Again, uh for fans of the show, there you go. For people who don't care, sorry. My bad. <laughs> well, to bring it back to Perry real quick, one of the scenes I really enjoyed with him and Arquette is after Arquette is turned into a vampire, he shows up at his window. And you're just thinking, okay, like he's outside this guy's house and he's like, come on, man, let me in, let me in. And uh, we quickly realized Arquette is floating in the air because Perry must live like high up on, you know, like an apartment building or something. And uh, he's like, are you on something, man? (laughs) Like, oh, you're floating. So you must be doing drugs (laughs) like to make you float. I was like, wait, no, Perry, you would have to be doing drugs to think like you're seeing somebody float. But anyway, it's just that kind of goofy dialogue, like stupid smart, like you said, that I enjoyed. Arquette's like, invite me in, man. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And he's getting like, (laughs) you know, he's obviously like really excited that he's a vampire now. But Perry's just like, go home, man. You're floating. Like, Get away, man. I just love his delivery. He's like, you're floating, man. Get out of here. Like he's not surprised at all. Yeah. The nonchalance of that was really, really good. Also, yeah. hey, it's Stephen Root as the principal, Gary Murray, who's oh, trying yeah. to be the cool principal. Speaking of drug references, I like whenever he's like, I, just think of me as Gary Murray, party guy. He wants the kids to think of him as party guy. But right. I like whenever he's like trying to figure out what's wrong with Buffy. And he's like, it's drugs, isn't it? It's drugs, isn't it? <laughs> and then he goes into a long speech about how he did acid one time at a Doobie Brothers concert and he thought he was a toaster. <laughs> like, it's just random weird crap like that that's pretty great another line i really liked whenever donald sutherland shows up in the girls locker room and buffy says what are you doing here this is a naked place that was pretty great (laughs) that was great what did you think about the basketball coach that was probably my favorite character in the entire movie oh yeah i picked up on that early on like when they first showed him and he's like wait which ones are which one are we the x's or the o's like he doesn't know how to read a, a playbook or anything and I'm like, what, what did they get, like, the biology teacher to sit in for the basketball game? It's just, yeah, then it just becomes, like, an ongoing joke where he's just, like, saying all these very, like, namby-pamby things that a basketball coach would never do. Like, the total opposite of a basketball coach, which I thought was pretty great. Well, this is kind of a play on PC talk was, like, a really 
big point of spoofing in the 90s and yet you had some books that were like pc fairy tales that comically pc them up from the way they originally were but i, I just love all the stuff he says like he tells the players like remember i'm a person i have a right yeah. to the ball actualize then, actualize yeah, yeah. that's right assert your personhood <laughs> right assert your personhood. And then that was all good whenever one of the players is actually a vampire and he's being a little too intense he's like stagger him with your politeness <laughs> that is great i love the character the guy who plays grueler uh he's from dazed and confused i'm, I'm trying to remember his name jensen sash sasha jensen man yeah, yeah. He's great. I mean, I love him in Days of Confused. He's he's just classic. Like he has a, a certain really comedic persona even when he's just on screen being serious. Like I really enjoy his presence, but when he becomes a vampire and he's like on the basketball court with him, he's just like showing his fangs and then he floats in the air to dunk the ball. I love all the adults how they're just like Oh, no, no, we can't have that. Get him off the court. Get him off the court. Like, they're not surprised, again, at all that there's, like, a vampire floating on the court. They're just like, oh, no, that's breaking the game. We can't have that. Dude, I'm so glad you brought him up. Sausage Then he's also in Halloween 4. He's just always oh, really yeah. good. I, You know, I think Doug probably enjoyed him in Ghoulies 2 as Teddy. He's in a lot of fun stuff, but then he's not in anything after that. And I don't know why, man. I would have put this guy in every movie. That's right. But to bring it back to Days and Confused a little bit, Ben Affleck is in this movie, has a little cameo as one of the basketball players that gives him the ball. So there you go, a little connection. Did you notice him like while you were watching it? Because I heard that, but I didn't see him. I read that, but I did not notice him. I remember that that scene of the character you know, being like, oh, okay, man, just take the ball, just take the ball when he <laughs> when he's being all crazy as a vampire. But I did not recognize him as Ben Affleck. That's like the perfect Affleck role right there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so we have Sutherland showing up in her locker room. Like you said, she says, what are you doing here? This is the naked place. But there's definitely a version of this where he's getting arrested at some point <laughs> or just like, you know, being a peeping Tom. But he just plays it so straight, you know, he's like, he's not bothered at all that he's like in this place where he shouldn't be, which I think is funny. But uh, this is where he calls her vacuous and he has to prove that she's the chosen one. So he throws a knife at her head, (laughs) which she then catches like it's nothing. And I definitely thought there's another version of this where Sutherland is just so fed up with Buffy, who's just been like such a debt to him this whole time and really obnoxious that he just straight up throws the knife into her face and walks away. Speaking of the creeper thing and bringing it back to Joss and whatever his issues are, that's another recurring thing. For some reason, Donald Sutherland, even though she's being really irritating to him, for some reason he likes it, right? He he enjoys mm. it. He's like, not this one, he says later on whenever her life is in peril and he sacrifices himself for her. It's like, yeah. this one's special, which again is always a recurring thing with Joss. You know? Kind of creepy. Up with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I love her line there where she says, I don't want to chase vampires for the rest of my life. All I want to do is graduate high school, go to Europe, and marry Christian Slater and then die. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, Christian Slater, buddy. But, you know, again, Whedon being suspect. Apparently, it was originally written as Charlie Sheen there in the script. You know, Swanson and Sheen both being in the chase. This is like, okay, obviously this calls everything, you know, say whatever else you want about Whedon, but, you know, the fact that he didn't put Christian Slater in the script to begin with, that's just not good judgment, man. Like, everything <laughs> is suspect now. 
Christian Slater's my man. Yeah, I think that Doug recommended this movie solely because of that one line, because he knew that Probably. you would like the Slater <laughs> reference. Jordan wants to marry Christian Slater, so does Christy Swanson in this movie. They should watch it. That's it. Oh, but we got to talk about her, her PMS powers. Come on. We got to talk about that. God, I'm glad Josh dropped that for the TV show, because that was... That was a little much, buddy. That is a bit much. Uh, so she feels cramps anytime she's around a vampire. And so I, I do think Sutherland is a perfect foil for the ditzy blonde, you know, when she's still kind of real vapid. Because just to point out his dialogue, he says, you'll feel cramping as a reaction to their unnaturalness. You can use it to track them. And she's like, great. My special weapon is PMS. <laughs> <laughs> just like, uh, but even here there's like there he makes a joke later and then there's a little like sexual tension between them maybe i don't know it just got kind of weird did you pick up on this like sexual tension between sutherland and swanson yeah uh, maybe she was being a little flirty with him and he was liking it like you said like he's he's a little, got a little something for her. i don't know <laughs> No, I guess maybe I should watch it again. Maybe I should watch it again. <laughs> You're too busy swooning over Luke Perry, I'm sure. I'm telling you, I was thinking about Joss the whole time. I was probably thinking, like, is jo- how is he inserting You're thinking about the damn TV into- show. Yeah. Yes, of course. <laughs> I've, I've got so much more stuff on my mind than you do with this because of my association with this property. Right. I've got all the- every season of this on DVD. I've watched the show all the way through, like, three or four times. I mean... I knew going into it, you would just nerd out and talk about the differences. I read the comics the, until they, you yeah, know, in the, the comics. Yeah. yeah. Huge disappointment. <laughs> Huge disappointment. Um, at least to me. Yeah. So I, it's hard for me to just look at this movie and it's just a movie. I do think it has some interesting stuff between Perry, like I'm going to say Perry and Buffy, Luke Perry and Buffy or Pike and Buffy the sexual tension between them. So this is the scene where she brings him back to her house and you think like, okay, maybe maybe they're just going to like get into it here. But they actually have a conversation and she talks to him about how things have changed. She's not, you know, she used to just not think about anything, but now, you know, she's babbling to a strange man in her living room. Again, I love Perry's reaction. His, his delivery is so earnest, but so stupid. He's like, are you calling me a man? <laughs> that was great his delivery on that was perfect that was perfect but yeah the, you know you can kind of see like okay she's she's changing here she's not you know just this dumb blonde like she started out as all right so one question i had throughout this like i feel like it kind of comes into its own with the whedonisms as it gets going and it's more and more funny but are there parts of this that are just straight up cheesy and bad to you or do you feel like it's all tongue-in-cheek what did you make of that I think obviously anything that's called Buffy the Vampire Slayer is going to hearken to B material just because it's called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, even though, you know, the show had so much depth at the same time. It's about, you know, a, a high school student fighting vampires and demons and monsters and hearkening back to B movie stuff. And there's nothing like outright cheesy in this movie other than the stupidity of the plot that we already talked about where he literally has her dead to rights and could just kill her <laughs> right. and could in fact has her under suggestive power to where he could be like what's your name young lady what's your address what's your favorite <laughs> color 
Do you right. like boy bands? Like he could have done all that stuff and then it, it doesn't make any sense. So that is cheesy and dumb. Anyone like editing this movie together is going to be like, huh, we need to do a reshoot here or I don't know. Maybe I can cut this to make a little more sense. And that obviously didn't happen. Maybe they ran out of $7 million. But as far as like what's <laughs> actually there, not, not really. Because really someone who maybe doesn't get – Huber in any way whenever Pee-wee Herman dies at the end of the movie oh yeah after his so good. his fight with Buffy he has like a really really hammy death scene which was yeah. why I wanted to watch the movie in the first place because that was featured in the commercials where he's like goes on forever if for some reason and i don't know how you wouldn't get that that was supposed to be funny but if you if you didn't get that that was supposed to be funny i guess you would say that was cheesy but i love that part i could have had another five minutes of him dying right yeah actually in the credits they go back to it where he keeps dying (laughs) comes back (laughs) alive and then he dies some more and apparently all that was improvised by Paul Rubens, which, I, yeah, just classic. It was really good. It's really Yeah, funny. just let him go. Oh, hey, what did you think about her friend group? Hillary Swank is like the worst person ever in this movie. She's so awful. She's like the worst stereotype of like a rich, evil person. Hillary Swank is just the worst person anyway, right? <laughs> so just fits the role no I'm, i don't know i mean she's a fine actress uh but yeah she her yeah her, her friend group sucked it's like yeah dump those dumb bees come on now she was she was terrible she was so awful but she she was good at it you know yeah she was good at it yeah it's funny she she is kind of hamming it up as just being like you know i'm gonna be as as awful as i can be but it's yeah. oscar winner hillary swank right so. right which is a fun thing to see and compare that to like yeah didn't she win some oscars like million dollar baby oh yeah she's got like a crazy 80s bob here or, or the fritz <laughs> 90s hair or whatever and terrible you know neon clothes but uh what did you think about the the dance scene where she's dumped by her boyfriend but there's actually you know some little romance here with her and luke perry he comes and he's all cleaned up and looking all suave and they dance i love the line i thought this I don't know if I'm guessing it's Whedon because, you know, it stands out in some of his writing, but they dance and he goes, Buffy, you're not like other girls. And she says, yes, I am. And then they kiss. It's like, come on, man. That is, that is a good line and brings a little nuance to the character where, you know, she, again, she's playing this badass. You know, she's kind of kind of showed up all the guys at this point, just being a total badass and killing all these vampires. But you know, in the end, she's like, no, I'm like other girls. I'm just, you know, just a normal high school girl when it comes down to it. Cheesy or no? Uh, I thought it was fine. I was like, again, you're you're talking about that because you're just watching this movie as a movie. But I'm thinking like, man, that scene where she falls on top of Luke Perry oh, at the yeah. end of a fight scene 
is like the same thing where like Gal Gadot was like, I'm not going to film a scene as Wonder Woman where the Flash falls on top of me and like his head falls on my boobs. I'm not going to do that. And I realized watching this movie, because I remembered that part from this movie in the trailers, like, man, that's like a Joss fetish, like a beautiful woman just literally falls on top of you, you know. Or you fall on top of her. And she stays there for five minutes. <laughs> because yeah. she's just laying on top of him talking. This is before they even got romantic at all, I think. And she's just like, hey, so like we're killing vampires now, right? And I'm like laying on top of your junk. But let me just stay here and talk to you for a little bit. So you're thinking like, oh, that's a good line. Oh, sweet romance. And I'm thinking like, man, Joss is again really inserting himself with his romantic erotic fantasies here. <laughs> you're just getting all ac- academic on film shape, yeah. man. Trying to bring it back down to the, the gula gula. I don't know what that is. Yeah, plebe. Hey, no. <laughs> Did you think just with the tone, with the dance and everything else that this kind of falls and that weird sort of like nineties false start where like some of the soundtrack, you get like a little bit of like butt rock and hair metal where it, I don't know, like it's nineties, but it's in that weird early nineties window where it's not like totally the nineties yet. Right. Like you, you yeah. don't feel like this is a world where grunge has existed yet. No, I even thought about that with some of the dialogue. Like you had said that it felt pretty real to you uh, as far as like what the girls were saying and like what your sister was saying growing up in the 90s and stuff but yeah parts of it i was like this like you know you watch this and you watch heathers which is from you know late 80s and there's a lot of the same dialogue and look to the fashion and everything like oh what's your damage that kind of thing i'm pretty sure they actually say that in heathers so yeah, parts of it definitely have still like an '80s vibe to it. I get what I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's it's weird. You get the divinal song at the end. I ain't gonna eat out my heart anymore, which is a cover, but it's like really a weird song, right? Like I, I'm definitely gonna play it for this episode, but it's not <laughs> like really very good. I don't know. Maybe that's blasphemy for all our divinals fans. And it's just got kind of a weird tone where it's like, this feels like 91 or 92, and that that's it. It kind of like puts the movie in a specific place and time. Hmm. What did you think of the showdown with the big bad when uh, she uses the hairspray to flame out on Rutger Hauer? Oof. Okay, so that was cheesy. That was cheesy. That was the one part where I kind of groaned. Because they <laughs> they set it up, right? Like, she says to Donald Sutherland, how about my keen fashion sense is, like, one of her best weapons. And then, right. she, you know, she, she holds up the cross to Donald Sutherland and really, like, in a very just, I, I'm going to, he's sort of an anti-religious guy, like, saying, like, well, that doesn't do anything. And the cross just catches on fire. And then she pulls out the hairspray. It's hairspray, right? I thought, thought it was yeah, a beauty product. I think so. And, you know, she says... How about my keen fashion sense? And she really, it's really the only bad acting, I think, from her, because she makes a really goofy face. Maybe she was directed to do that. And then there's this really goofy effect with Rucker Howard's hair catching on fire, and he even makes a goofy face, which he's an incredible actor. It's one of the dumbest faces I've ever seen him make in the 20 or so (laughs) movies I've seen him in, so... It could have been really like trashy and cheesy and gnarly there where like if he actually caught on fire and like his hair melted off and he started looking all, you know, like 90s prosthetic, like burnt up looking all funky to end the 
in the movie with, you know, but no, like he just, he doesn't even look like he's singed after that. He just, she runs away to the gym for some reason. He lures him back to all the people that he can then kill, which made no sense. And I was like, man, maybe she's still not the brightest crayon in the box, but he whips out a samurai sword (laughs) for some reason. And then he starts attacking her with that. But she grabs a wooden chair. He cuts that. It turns into a stake, and then she gets to stab him. <laughs> then he's really pissed off. He calls her a bitch a couple of times. You know, begin again because he's this creepy old dude that wants to like seduce her, and she's not having it. So she's just a bitch, right? So, but then she like jump kicks the stake into his heart some more. <laughs> I love, I love when he says, "Oops." Now, I'm really pissed off. And then he dies. (laughs) So good. That again, at the negative when compared to the TV show, there's so many great fight scenes in that, and this was really felt like Chrissy Swanson fighting an aged Rutger Hauer. Yeah. Choreography again feeling very cheap. He keeps yeah. saying, now I'm really pissed off. He says right. that a lot with his dollar store fangs. I don't know. Right. I wasn't very <laughs> impressed with the climax there. I did like how there's a vampire who I guess is an aspiring DJ who kicks the oh, DJ yeah. out of the DJ booth and takes <laughs> over. And he plays Ozzy instead of whatever crap they were playing before Ozzy. So I did appreciate aspects of it, but the climax overall I thought was a little underwhelming. Maybe it was uh, Corey Haim back from just just one of the girls, you know, she became a vampire <laughs> right there, there for that scene. <laughs> Maybe so. I like the touch with David. Speaking of the dollar store fangs, David Arquette, before he turns into a vampire, he has like a little silver tooth. And then when he gets his fangs, he has like a silver fang, which I thought was pretty fun. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. That's awesome. Well, uh, so Buffy goes and he, she helps up Luke Perry and he says, did I do all this? (laughs) She's like, nope. Did you do all this? Yep, I did. And (laughs) again, with like kind of the, just the gender commentary here, I thought it was interesting the, where he asked her to dance at the very end and he says, I guess you want to lead. And she says, no. And he says, yeah, me neither. And then she said, this is a good thing. So I'm like, oh, yeah, egalitarianism. Woohoo! they're equals. <laughs> but then, of course, whenever they leave on her motorcycle, I don't know where the hell they're going. She's but... on the back. That's yeah. right. He's driving. That did feel a little weird. Like, yeah, you're going to end this on like this we're equals thing, which was cool. You know, I thought that was different than just like, OK, like, yeah, I want to be your girl, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, then they ride off together like they're in some looking like rundown looking part of town. And then they they do have the credits roll over that last shot instead of going to black. You know, I'm gonna eat out my heart anymore. Yeah, you know, I love that. (laughs) I wanted to ask too, why was Buffy's mom separated in the credits? Do you have any idea? Like it had Candy Clark, or I think that was the actress's name, right? Buffy's mom above all the rest of the cast and then like Cass and then Chrissy Swanson and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. That was weird. Cause I thought like it's Candy Clark deceased, but she's not, she's still alive. They usually do that. Like if somebody died. Yeah. It's like, okay, she's not dead. 
Maybe they just thought she was really great at playing a inattentive mom. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> pay attention to Candy Clark. I think she was an American graffiti too. And pay attention to your kids. <laughs> yeah. Parents. All the yes. parents watching this in 92. Hey, you know what? I don't have anything else to say about this movie. I give it the same exact score as I gave to the Corey Haim one. Yeah, it cheerleader flicks. I'll call them the twin cheerleader flicks. I think that's why Doug really paired them up. Yeah, yeah. I, give them, I give them both a five out of ten. I, I don't think they're bad. I don't love them. They're fine. I wish Corey Haim was in this, and I wish Christy Swanson was in that. I wish there was a crossover. I think that it would improve both movies. Ooh, that would be nice. I think Corey Haim would would been yeah an improvement to have him in the Luke Perry role. I mean, Luke Perry's all right. He plays the kind of out of it slacker pretty well, but doesn't have i don't know he just doesn't have much charisma he seems like he's always falling asleep like he does fall asleep multiple times in this movie but he's just he feels like he's just kind of sleepwalking through this movie even when he's acting i'm with you that that slacker vibe it works sometimes but it it doesn't really feel sustainable and i do kind of feel like Corey Haim. you know obviously in lost boys he fought vampires like bring him back for this like that that energy he was probably like coked out of his mind at this point but if you have that energy (laughs) Here, hey, you'd have the, lots of energy. Yeah, you'd have lots of energy, this. actually. <laughs> right. I guess this is a year before the movie we talked about earlier that I can't even remember the name right now. Uh, <laughs> just one of the girls. Yeah, there you go. Just one of the girls. But yeah, that would have been interesting seeing like a little more energy there. Like, what would that have been like? Yeah. What do you think the series would have been like to have Christy Swanson in the Sarah Michelle Geller role? You know, I, I don't know if if you watch the pilot and I do recommend that if, if you enjoy this movie and never watch the show, just watch the pilot. I've watched the it, pilot. Yeah. yeah, it's not as good as the rest of the show, but you do get a lot of the tone and you do get a bit of a feel for Sarah Michelle Gellar's performance. They did kind of change her look because she's definitely it's kind of like a bridge between her look in this and when her look is in the show, which is a lot more kind of down to earth, less like popular, rich, like cheerleader girl. But the quippiness that's in there where it's more like she's not coming at it from like a, this is funny. Cause I'm a ditz saying dumb things. It's more like she's the stuff she's saying is really smart, really intelligent. She's really the one kind of doing the dissing. So it's a different humor there. And then the horror, I mean, it's not like a terrifying show, but there there's more atmosphere in the show. Again, I don't, I doubt any of the show's episodes cost 7 million to make, but I think every single one of them looks better than this movie does. What was the question? While you're on that part, this might be blasphemy to you, but I think one of the big reasons I couldn't get into the show was the makeup effects, the prosthetic effects on the vampires. I just thought they looked so stupid. Okay, go to hell, Jordan. You suck. Hate you. That's right. (laughs) I thought you got... Yeah, you like that? Yeah. (laughs) All right, well... Movie like that'll stoke you for our trivia battle in a minute, but uh, we got to do our movie connection. Did you get so, your score uh, for this? Did I miss that? Oh, I, no, I didn't. Um, three out of five. Thought okay, it was, there you I go. Thought, I think I liked it a little bit more than you, though. I, I enjoyed it. I think it was fun. I'd probably watch watch it again at some point. What do you give that Corey Hay movie that I watched that you didn't see? Will you give that a score too? I didn't see it, so I can't rate it, buddy. Ah, oh, fine, fine. <laughs> Two out of five. That sucked. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. All right. So, uh, movie connection, you got one for us, or you want me to go? Well, I mean, there's some pretty clear ones. I've, the last movies that we watched, well, one of them involved vampires, Bordello there of Blood. Go. So, that's an easy connection there. There's a lot of cleavage in both movies. Uh, I had another one, but I didn't write it down and I forgot it. So, what's yours? <laughs> 
Uh, mine would connect to Demon Knight since you went the vampire route with Bordello of Blood. With Demon Knight, we both have movies where there's a slayer, and then when that slayer dies, another one is born or Ooh, rises to the task. Very good. Skills. Skills, brah. <laughs> that was actually one of my first notes uh, watching the movie. It was like in the Dark Ages scene where they mentioned that, and I was like, oh, yeah, Demon Knight. There you go. Hey, have you ever tried out for Mensa before? For what? For Mensa, because that was brilliant. Genius, Jordan. Jordan Corden, genius. genius. They used genius. to call me genius on the sandwich line at Whole Foods, but it's, <laughs> it's just because I could whip up a, a sweet sandwich. Corey Haim cross-dressing is to you at making a sandwich. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into the trivia battle. Hold it! Ah! Ah! Pop quiz, hot shot! Oh, dude. I like how my trivia battle has a helper for me to pronounce divinals. I have di as in dish, vinyls as in vinyls, because I always say their name wrong, and I really wanted to make fun of their song at the end of the movie. Um, and then I have trivia. So it's just that, and then trivia. That's all I have typed out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Those are your notes. <laughs> well, I, I hand wrote notes for the movie, but that, yeah, oh, okay. professionally done. That's all I have. Yeah. Professionally, professionally. being using an actual uh, computer, I guess handwriting is not that professional. Makes it, that makes it professional. <laughs> you typed right. it into your Word document. I use a computer. These, these millennials are doing these days using a computer. <laughs> uh, so, all my questions center around Paul Rubens. So, oh, there nice. you go. And I'm going to just bring back a good old film shake standard and go to the Fred Willard book once again, because I know oh. you've been missing that, Nick. Yes, yes. I miss, uh, I miss Fred. This time, I, you know, within this book, there's multiple little sections that are called the grab bag, which is just a bunch of random crap. Like, none of the questions have a theme. So I figured I would go with one of the grab bags this time and let you have a little taste of that. Grab your bag there. Grab my bag. Grab All your right. bag. <laughs> I'm going to grab uh, my bag right now while you ask me the first question. All right. Question number one. What is the subject of 1984's The Phil Philadelphia Experiment? Is it A, space exploration, B, time travel, C, medical research, or D, cloning? Oh, gosh. You know, I watched that movie. I rented it from the library in the late 80s, and I feel like time travel and space travel happened in that thing. But I'm just going to say time travel. That's what they got here, time travel. Right on, right on. Right on. Boom. Thank you, New Roads Library. <laughs> One of the most serendipitous things that ever happened to me was I checked out the Sabu Jungle Book from 1940 like a hundred times. And one time they accidentally gave me a Darby O'Gill and the Little People starring Sean O'Connery. Paul Rubens trivia. First question. In what 1980s film did Paul Rubens voice a robotic ship commander? Was it A. The Last Starfighter? B. Starman? C. Flight of the Navigator? D. Pee-wee's Space Adventure? Um, Last Starfighter. Oh, damn. <laughs> oh, no. This was like the give me Flight of the Navigator, buddy. Oh, oh. I, never, I never saw Flight of the Navigator. All right. You have earned this, you damn millennial. How did you miss that? How did you never see that? All right. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know. 
just throw it up now. I'm disgusted. Disgusted. I've actually never seen The Last Starfighter either. either. Are you kidding? I don't know how I missed those two, man. Uh, and I mean, Starman. Obviously, seen plenty of '80s movies growing up, but yeah. Oh, I've seen Starman though. All right, so that's it wasn't good. That. That's good. Yeah. And I made a Pee Wee Space Adventure. Yeah, I figured you did. <laughs> All right, what's your next question? All right, next question. <clears throat> Mentioned uh, some like it hot earlier, so we gotta just throw this in here. And this one, I I would actually know, so maybe you won't, but maybe it's super easy. Who is Marilyn Monroe's character in 1959's Some Like It Hot? Is it A. Cherry Red, B. Sugar Cane, C. Lorelai Lee, or D. Holly Go Lightly. Man, I haven't watched Some Like It Hot since college. Cause it's Sugar Cane. That is correct. Yes. Oh, a sexy yeah. ukulele playing member of an all-girl band in this Billy Wilder com- comedy classic. How about this? In which film did Paul Rubens first star? Was it mm-hmm. A, Nice Dreams, B, Pray TV, C, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, or D, Cheech and Chong's next movie? Part of me wants to say Pee-wee was his first movie. I'm just going to go with Pee-wee. That's incorrect, Jordan. Oh. Pray what TV was, was his first movie. Pray TV? Never even heard of that. Yeah, it's like a it's a televangelism spoof starring uh. our old friend uh, Dabney Coleman from... Uh. No. Favorite movie no. Where, where the heart is. No. Uh, Don't remind me of that. I watched that one time on like Showtime, maybe, or HBO, whenever I was in, I don't know, middle school or high school. And I feel like I enjoyed it, but I don't know. Maybe it yeah. sucks. Who knows? All right. So you win. I suck. What am I watching? <laughs> oh, wait. Kit, let me ask you this, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter because you lost already. What is yeah. Paul Rubin's real name? Is it Stephen Herman? Paul Rubenfeld, Paul Rubinsky, or Steven Stoniker? Is it Paul Rubenfeld? Yeah, you got it. You got it. Nice job. You still lost, but I'm very proud of you there. Nope, that <laughs> brings me back alive. Come on, let's keep going. <laughs> oh, okay, what am I watching? All right. So I was thinking, we're doing another patron request for our next episode. Jonathan Rocker requested the first Star Trek movie we're ever going to cover, and it's a good one, Jordan. You're you're really being blessed here with this one. It's one of the best Star Trek movies ever, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. So that's going to be the main thing. And I really thought, you know, there's one movie that I've wanted to try to, to fit in here, and it's a movie that Jason Kleberg, who does Force 5, which we've guested on before, has mentioned as like a guilty pleasure. I want to say that I saw it once in high school. <laughs> this movie, it, since we're going to space, right, most of us here on Earth are not going to get to space. You know, now if you've got a ton of money, you can get there. But you know what? You can go to the top of a really tall building. Most people can do that. You know who went to a really tall building is Anna Nicole Smith in 1996's Skyscraper. Skyscraper. Wow. Not the Dwayne The Rock Johnson flick. That is incorrect. This is Anna Nicole Smith. It's a Skyscraper. And let me just tell you the genre of this. This okay. might this might entice you more. This is an, an action, action film, thriller. Jordan. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Helicopter charter soon turns deadly when the female pilot finds that she is on a building held by terrorists. It's up to her and her husband to save the hostages. So basically, it's Die Hard with a woman. Yes. You know, Christy Swanson to Anna Nicole Smith. You're Mm going to be thinking, like, how did Christy Swanson not get an Oscar 
for Buffy after after no I love you know what I, Anna Nicole Smith I have a real soft spot for I don't know why I always have you know recipes. she's got two soft spots for you buddy <laughs> oh can we keep that in there do do we cut that no that stays oh, that stays okay. and yeah, you know what though I've, I've always had a soft spot for her in this movie it's it's just watch it Jordan just watch skyscraper buddy so you've seen this yes yes Jordan I've seen okay. skyscraper oh wow 2.9 out of 10 on IMDb I don't I don't totally feel like you're gonna feel that way but maybe you will Good. Good you're, you're either gonna be like you're gonna enjoy it or you're gonna say it's a zero out of 10 do you want to know what I was gonna punish you with if I would have won trivia by just some miracle what's that I mean, we're going to Star Trek, Shatner. I figured I've got to give you another Shatner movie to watch. I was going to make you watch Osmosis Jones, the animated movie from 2001. <laughs> He's in there. Please what's keep that ca- in the bag. That's a I'm, great punishment. Keep that I'm, in there. I'm keep, I'm, what, what's his character's name? So it's Lawrence Fishburne, Chris Rock. you got to hear his. Okay, he, he is Mayor Fleming. <laughs> he is Mayor Fleming is Shatner's name oh and Kid Rock does one of the voices as Kidney Rock oh yeah you gotta <laughs> you gotta watch that at some point alright alright I'll try to lose the next trivia battle so that you can punch me with it awesome alright awesome. well great to beat you again um, I'm glad that you didn't pull out some horrible guest character that would haunt my <laughs> nightmares this time so that was a uh, that, that was fun. No, nope. only my nightmares will be haunted by Anna Nicole Smith, <laughs> or your sweet sweet dreams. Sweet sweet dreams, mm, maybe so. So next episode, first we're gonna start by Jordan recapping Skyscraper from 1996, starring Anna Nicole Smith, and then we're just gonna move on to the next natural thing from that in that episode, and that's 1991 Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country. So lots of sixes. that's right lots of sixes all right guys well thanks for listening it's been real if you want to shoot us some feedback you can email us at filmshakepodcast at gmail.com i always appreciate if you'd leave a review on itunes or apple podcasts or spotify or wherever you get your podcast and if you want to be a patron check out our patreon that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash film shake you can join one of our tiers and get some bonus content we do a bonus episode every month so if you like the show you might like that check it out all right thanks for listening we'll catch you next time for more film shake take it easy